Our son Joe is a pretty laid back individual. Now he, he's very passionate and driven about the things he really cares about, but the way God wired him up, he just doesn't get riled up about much. He, he really doesn't. And so as he approached his 16th birthday and we were looking forward to Joe getting his driver's license, I was a little bit surprised when his birthday came and went and he still hadn't gone to get the license. Man, I remember when it, when it was time for me to get my driver's license, I was there when the DPS opened to get that license. His older sister, Emily, the same thing. And so for a few days, Julie and I kind of hung back and just watched and observed, and, and we were kind of like, this is interesting. And so finally, after about a week and a half or two weeks, I was like, bruh, what up? Why haven't you gone to get the license? This is where the genius of laid back reveals itself. This is what he told me. He said, well, dad, I figured as long as I didn't have my license, Emily's a senior and I could still ride with her. Seniors get better parking than sophomores and she's paying for the gas. That's my boy. I mean, it's hard to argue with that kind of logic. And if we were in Manhattan and he were never going to have to learn how to drive, awesome. But we live in Austin, God's favorite city in the world. And in Austin, people drive from point A to point B. And unless he was going to remain transportation dependent upon his sister and his parents, the boy needed his license. You see, the longer we put something off, the harder it becomes to actually make it happen. And I've noticed this about conflict, particularly in the family. The longer I hope something gets better, the more sure I am that it will come back to bite me somewhere. Every single time. Every single time. Conflict is inevitable, especially in the family. There's no way we can live life and, and do life with the people closest to us and not at least sometimes get just a little bit sideways with each other. We have to be willing to embrace conflict. Now, for the last few weeks as a church family, we've been looking at fearless family, at what it means to have the gospel, the good news of Jesus, inform and impact our families and how that plays out within the realm of the family. Because the fact of the matter is, no matter our current situation or status, we all come from a family. We, we all come from somewhere. And the better we understand how we're impacted by that family, the better we understand our role in that family, then the better we come to understand how God wants to use us, not only in our families, but literally in the world at large, because it's largely from our families of origin where we learn how to handle, how to navigate conflict. I grew up with, with two brothers and three boys. I discovered very early, very early in marriage, three guys handle conflict much differently than Julie and her two sisters handled conflict. And so when we came together in marriage, one man, one woman, one life, be united, we had to learn, we had to discover how to navigate conflict in a way that was going to be constructive and not destructive. We had to learn how the gospel, how Jesus plays out even within our conflict. Now, 
I think it's really important here at the very, very beginning that we all agree on something. There is absolutely no way. Tell your neighbor right now, there ain't no way. There is no way that we can comprehensively cover all conflict. I, I mean, there, there's no way because let's be honest, family conflict comes in a lot of shapes and sizes and flavors, doesn't it? And the reality is that there are so many different ranges of conflict. There's you forgot to put the seat down again conflict, but then there's also that kind of soul deep decade after decade conflict and all points in between. But the fact of the matter is, the gospel, we, we believe firmly around here that all roads lead to the cross. That, that the cross of Christ and the resurrection of Jesus from the dead means that every single thing the gospel touches gets better. And surely this is true when it comes to the subject of conflict. For, for all of us, no matter our personality types, no matter our backgrounds, the fact of the matter is, I think that we can all get better at managing conflict, at using conflict and allowing the gospel of Jesus Christ to inform and to actually endow our conflict with, with purpose and, and with grace. How many of us in the room know that particularly when it comes to family, we could all use a little bit of grace? Am I the only one or maybe just a couple of us understand we could use some grace. Uh, a few years ago, we were on vacation, just the four of us, our family, and uh, we were sitting beside a pool getting ready to order kind of a late lunch. And we had sat down, like I said, kind of late. So we were kind of right at a shift change where the wait staff was, one was going and the other was coming. And so we sat there for a while and, and finally a waitress came over to our table. We were having one of those just awesome family days. The weather was great. The conversation was great. We were playing together, picking at each other, fun, having fun. It was awesome. And, and finally, the waitress came over and she goes, hey, how are y'all doing today? Have y'all had to wait a while? I'm so sorry. I go, hey, man, we've been here a while, but it's been awesome. Well, everybody at our table, I could tell Emily, Joe, my bride, Julie, everybody just kind of cringed when I said that. And and our wait, waitress took our drink order, and as she walked away, Julie kind of started, but we're fine. We're, we're, we're not in any rush. We were just kind of hanging out. And at that point, as the waitress walked away, Joseph took the beach towel that he was sitting on and just pulled it over his head, wanted to crawl under the table. I was like, what's wrong with you people? Now, Emily, Emily understood what I had meant, but she also understood how it had come across. And she goes, hey, Dad, I know what you meant, but here's how it came across. We've been sitting here a while. Where were you? I was like, you're kidding me. I didn't even mean it that way. I just meant, hey, we've been here a while. It's been great. I was enjoying y'all until right now. <laughs> I said, uh, see, that, that's, you know, that's how I come off chill. That is just terrible. But Joseph still underneath the beach towel goes, that was awful. That was horrible. I go, what's wrong? It's because he... Joe, Joe's one of those people, he likes everybody to get along, just everything is to be good, everybody to be happy. God bless him. I need more of that in my life. But it was in the context of family that I learned a valuable lesson about how I was perceived. That was a critical moment for me. And man, they've gone back to that so many times since then. If I, if I kind of say something that I'm thinking, not meaning it in a harsh way, but I say it kind of quick, 
They're like, oh, dad, have we been here a while? <laughs> They're brutal, brutal. But, but our family, that's where we learn conflict. That's, that's, our family is where we learn how to grow and get better. It's how we hopefully learn how to laugh at ourselves, to understand, hey, listen, I can mess up just like you can mess up. And maybe if we both mess up at the same time, maybe that's contributing to the conflict that, that we're feeling at any given moment in time. And, and, and fortunately, thank God that God knows life is a contact sport. God understands that we will come in contact with conflict, that, that we will have these moments where we get sideways with each other. And it's exactly at those moments that we need this gospel, this, this good news of Jesus Christ. When we say the word gospel, what we mean is that God so loved the world, he gave his only son so that whoever believes in him will have eternal life and will never die. And that eternal life begins right here and right now, that it impacts every part of this temporary life in addition to being eternal after we physically pass from this world. And that that gospel matters. And it's not just a, it's not just a concept. It's not a belief system. It's not, it's not just a, a faith idea. But that the gospel of Jesus Christ wakes up every single morning and puts on shoes and walks around. And, it, and it's real and it matters and it, and it impacts and it informs every single thing that we do. If you've got your Bibles, I want you to look at Romans chapter number 12. In Romans chapter 12, there's this incredible passage that is devoted exclusively to conflict. Now, if you don't have a Bible with you, we're going to put it here on the screen in just a second. But I want to make sure that you understand there's an incredible app that you can put on your phone. It's called the YouVersion Bible app. Y-O-U version. You version. You can download it and carry the Bible with you anywhere and everywhere you go. You can look at the table of contents and nobody will ever know. You just look it up. But it's there for the taking. I would encourage you and, and man, exhort you. That's a good pastor word, isn't it? I exhort you. I exhort you to put the YouVersion Bible on your phone and take it with you wherever you go. But in Romans chapter 12, the Apostle Paul is inspired by the Holy Spirit of God and is writing because he's explaining how this gospel plays out, how it, how it makes a difference day in and day out in our earthly relationships as well as our heavenly relationship with God. And in Romans chapter 12, verse 16 and 17, he says something really, really profound, but I want you to make sure as we put the verse up here, I want you to read the highlighted words with me. Read it like you mean it. Read it like, like you believe this stuff. Verse 16, look at what it says. The Bible says, live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Three of you read that. Uh, awesome. I appreciate that a lot. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. Now, it would be understandable if we read Romans chapter 12, especially verse 16, and just kind of skated right by it. Live in harmony with one another. That, we, it, would be, it would be understandable if we just kind of you know, glanced by that and went, what a beautiful poetic image. Live in harmony with one another. 
Yes. Harmony. I love that. It's a beautiful picture. But understand what harmony really is. Harmony is a fascinating, fascinating act of physics. Harmony occurs, if you've ever sung in a choir or in a band, you, you know about harmony. Because the melody line, that's easy. The melody line is what people like me can hear and, and kind of follow along with. The, but, but harmony, harmony is where different people sing different notes. And when those, no, those notes merge and mesh together, they form this beautiful, this gorgeous chorus that is so much stronger together, vo vocally and, and audibly. And that, that's what makes music like the Beach Boys or the Eagles stand out, or, or currently Zach Brown Band. They've got these incredible harmonies that are absolutely killer. Now, I can hear a melody. I, I, can, I can understand a melody. I got a peaceful, easy feeling. I got that. That ain't that, ain't that big a deal. <laughs> but somebody with talent, now somebody with talent can take that melody line and they can find the notes above and below that melody and they merge. Oh man, that all of a sudden becomes magical. I can't even fake it for you. And I had all week to practice. <laughs> so I can't do that. But I, I think it's a great picture of what God wants to see happen in families where, where everybody is singing a different note, but that note is contributing to the melody. The, the melody is the, the vision and the purpose of the family that God has called us to. The, that, for example, husbands and wives, marriage in God's economy, one man, one woman, one life, that's the deal. And, and in that construct, you, you've got a man and a woman just stop right there. A man and a woman. Two different families of origin, two different, two different styles of conflict resolution, two, two different personality types, two different drives, two different sets of needs, wants, and desires. And God says, now, come together and be united as one. Good luck. That's a fascinating dynamic. And yet, as their differences come together, they complement one another. They don't compete with each other. I've always laughed when I've heard women who said they wanted to be equal to men. You need to be aiming a lot higher than that. I mean, that's just unbelievable. Am I preaching truth? I'm just saying, you don't want to be equal to men. God has given you a calling that is divinely appointed, just like he has men. And so when we come together, we, there's, this, there's this harmony that happens. It's true in the family. The, the kids have a, have a unique role to play in the family. You, you play a significant, significant role. You have major influence in your family. The older you get, the more influence you have. It may not feel like it, but I'm just telling you, you have a lot of influence. Your, your attitude, the words that you use, whether or not you choose to tell the truth, all of those things contribute to the climate of your home. And it's like, it's like we all live in these little eco bubbles, right? And, and we may not have rain, but boy, we can see some thunder and lightning, am I right? And everybody contributes to the climate of the family. As a matter of fact, 
There, there's one thing I think that's also in this passage in Romans chapter 12 that's worth taking just a quick second. It says, do not be proud. Do not be conceited. Now that, we know, we know that's true. That there's never a place where pride or me, myself, and I before you and thy, there's never a time where that works long-term, ever. And yet, that still is a struggle. As I was preparing for this, writing this sermon and praying through it, I I thought about when I was 17 years old. This is just me. And, and, And I admit, I am advanced in years. I'm 51, but I remember, I remember being 17, even 16, but especially at 17 and few years thereafter, I remember at 17 thinking that my parents were crazy. I remember. I remember thinking my mom and dad, bless their hearts. They they don't understand anything about me. They don't understand anything about about life or the world in general. It's just so hard to even talk. Here's the thing I didn't understand. By virtue of the fact that my mom and dad were older, and still are, my my dad's passed away, but my mom remains older than me. (laughs) By virtue of the fact that our parents are older, they've lived longer. They've seen more. They they know more of, of what works and what doesn't work. They have an earned wisdom that at 17, I couldn't even imagine. I didn't, I didn't understand that. So if you're in that, if you're in that station in life where, where maybe you think your parents are crazy and don't get it, I'm not telling you they're perfect because they're not. But they are your parents given to you by God. And so don't be conceited. Don't, don't be proud or arrogant and think you know more than somebody that's more than double your age, because you don't. There are certain things that, that you maybe understand more than you used to, and that's great, and you are growing in wisdom and in stature and hopefully in favor with God and man like Jesus did, but, but don't think for a second that you know more than your mom and dad. You, I, don't, I don't think that you're really that consciously arrogant, but understand if you think your parents are crazy and they don't get it, there there is a very real slice of arrogance in that, that you don't want to be a part of your life. And, And as a matter of fact, that humility, as you adopt that humility and you begin to put it into practice and talk to your parents like you really are humble, like you really do recognize their place in your life and their advanced years and all that, then watch how the climate in your home changes. I'm just telling you, I've never lied to you and I'm not gonna start now. I'm just telling you, you have a massive, massive role to play. Now, verses 16 and 17 of Romans chapter 12 are are significant and they're important. Look look at, live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud. But verse 18 of Romans chapter 12, I, I think Romans 12, 18 is really the meat in this relationship sandwich. Romans chapter 12, verse 18 says this. 
If it is possible, read these highlighted words with me. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Live at peace with everyone. I, I, know, I know what's happening right now. This is great. Some of you are thinking, yeah, right. But it's imperative that we take that command from the heart of God, live at peace with everyone, and keep it attached, keep it tethered to that mission-critical clause that comes before. As far as it depends on you, as far as it depends on you. That, that means when it comes to our relationships, and particularly where conflict is concerned, take appropriate responsibility. Take appropriate responsibility when it comes to conflict. As far as it depends on you. That, that means that you, you own your stuff. You, you own up to what you own, actually. You, your place in the conflict, your contribution to the conflict. I've noticed something after 27 years of marriage. There has never been one time, not one stinking time, that Julie has been 100% wrong. You know how annoying that is? I've, and listen, I've looked for it. Not one time have I been able to look at any conflict we've ever had and said, <laughs> this one is entirely on you, sugar. I mean, there's always something I could have done better. Always something I could have said differently. And I think that taking responsibility means that we are, we are willing. We are willing and able to wield the tool of responsibility. Taking responsibility is not fun. It is never fun to go, you know what? Time out. I was wrong, and I'm sorry. Right now, just on the count of three, everybody say, I'm sorry, with me. Just, just smile, everybody's smiling. It doesn't even apply to anything right now. Just go, one, two, three. I'm sorry. Okay, wait a minute. Look at that. Everybody lived. It wasn't fatal. Few people might have kind of hyperventilated a little bit, but that's okay. I'm sorry. Taking appropriate responsibility means apologizing sincerely. Can, can I just tell you something? This is, you know it's not. Here, if, whenever you say I'm sorry, follow it with these words. Say, I'm sorry that I dot, dot, dot. Do not ever apologize like this. I'm sorry if I. I'm sorry that you. No. I'm not even going to tell you thanks for playing that junk. No. That, I love it. When celebrities get caught doing something wrong or they tweet something, I apologize if I offended anyone. That ain't no apology, cuz. That, that's, that's an escape clause written by a publicity hound. That's not, a, that's not an apology. If I offended you, and if I didn't offend you, well, let's just keep moving. <laughs> no. When you offend, apologize. I'm sorry 
I said what I said the way that I said it. I was wrong. And, and man, this, is, this sounds great on a Sunday morning in church, but don't you know, isn't it hard to do that, to, to, to initiate the apology when, when you're down there on the rugged plains of reality? How many of you have ever thought this? Don't raise your hand. <laughs> How many of you have ever thought, I always initiate the apology? Yeah, that's what, don't, don't raise your hand. Or you think, man, I do this more often than he does. I want to take a survey. I have, this is, I'm not going to lead the witness. If you think men apologize quicker than women, raise your hand. Men are scared to raise their hand right now. Let me ask you this. If you think women apologize quicker than men, raise your hand. Okay, if you think men apologize quicker, raise your hand. Yeah, that is not a scientific survey. We're going to move on. Isn't that interesting? Like, can I email you my answer? No. <laughs> as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Responsibility. Don't, don't look at responsibility as a burden. Look at responsibility as a tool, as a tool that, that works. Because <clears throat> there, there are a few things that responsibility will do that nothing else will do. Number one, responsibility moves you from being a spectator to being a player. Responsibility moves you from being a player, being a spectator, to being a player. It makes you a real player. It puts you in the game as opposed to kind of sitting up in the stands. Because it's easy. It's easy. If you don't ever take responsibility, then you kind of sit back and you're like, how in the world could God, a God of love, give me this family that he has given me? How could he put these people in my life that I have to deal with on a regular basis? Look at him. Just look at him. Seriously? I mean, can, who thinks it's a good idea to act like she's acting right now? Are you joking me? Again, at that point, you're in the stands. But when you take responsibility for what you own, for your words, your actions, your tone of voice, your contribution to the climate in the family. Then you become a player. Then you're, you're on the field. You're on the court. My senior year of high school, I had kind of a love-hate relationship with the starting lineup in basketball. I, I was there some, wasn't there. It was, it was, my coach it was, it was really interesting. But anyway, I actually wasn't, it had nothing to do with my coach. I wasn't good enough. That, that was what the problem was. And so there were some games where you know, I was starting other games I wasn't, and, and I noticed a really interesting dynamic. When we were playing in a game that was like neck and neck at the end of the game, if I was sitting on the bench, I was a nervous wreck. My stomach was in knots. I couldn't do anything about it. I could like, just watch what happened. But if I was in the game, if I was on the floor and, and the game was back and forth, neck and neck, I was fine. I was like, coach, give me the rock. 
Send me to the line. I'm going to drop it in there and get soggy on them. Let's go. Because I was, I was contributing to the outcome. Same thing's true in our relationships. Same thing's true in our families. You're, you're not a spectator. So own your responsibility and, and be a player. Contribute to the game. The second thing that responsibility does is it makes you a victor and not a victim. Responsibility makes you a victor and not a victim. Here's the truth of the gospel. In Christ Jesus, we are more than conquerors, period. He will never leave us nor forsake us and nothing can separate us from the love of God, nothing. So we are victors in Christ Jesus. Now, the reality is this. Even in our families, we can be victimized. It is possible for predators to exist in our families. And in those moments, we have done nothing to bring that on ourselves. Remember what it says. It says, as far as it depends upon you, that has nothing to do with you. That's somebody else's sin. That's somebody else's choices. So you understand that when that happens, you have done nothing to invite it, but, everybody say but. How you respond to it is entirely your choice. How you live in the wake of that is entirely your choice. And in Christ Jesus, responsibility makes you a victor and not a victim. So you understand that. You, you appropriate that. You, you hang on to that truth. And you fight tooth and nail in love and in grace and in power for your dignity, for, for your value to God Almighty. And responsibility is what makes you a victor and not a victim. The last thing that, that responsibility does is it makes you a solution and not a problem. See, when you take responsibility for your words or your tone of voice or your actions, within the family, then you're a part of the solution to the conflict. As long as you step, stay out of that and you remain a spectator, you're a part of the problem. You are. But when you own your responsibility, when I own my responsibility, then, then I am I'm, I'm part of the solution. I'm actually helping the climate. Think about think about. You know, we all know what Austin's like in August, right? August, September. I mean, just hot like fire. That's okay. We choose to live here, God's favorite town. We, we've already established that. But, but doesn't it make this, this slice of the calendar where we are right now that much sweeter? I mean, when you wake up in the morning, I think this morning it was 56, 57 degrees. A few days ago, it was 48 degrees, not a cloud in the sky. Don't, don't, don't tell me you never felt the favor of God before. And you wake up like that and you're in Austin and you go in. There are people who have to wake up in Houston. <laughs> Sad. Break the cycle. But, but, but where we are right now, man, that, this is the climate. This, these, these are, and these, these are the, this is just, this is as good as it gets. 
This is, I told somebody the other day, this, this slice of the calendar, this is why my GPA was as bad as it was at the University of Texas. <laughs> Wake up on a day like that, they go, class. <laughs> that was long. I was wrong. That was terrible. <laughs> but, but you understand that, that God's given us not just eternal life, although that's real, and not just forgiveness from sins, that's real, but he's given us the power, the power of reconciliation, of restoring and healing relationships that are broken, that are fractured. You see, again, this gospel thing is not just a belief system. Don't, don't, don't miss that. Don't think that it's, it's just another way of believing in God. It's not. You see, God's given us this thing because of Jesus and Jesus only that is so real, that is so powerful. 2 Corinthians puts it like this. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone and the new is here. Now all of this is from God. God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, in Jesus, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. So, so to all of us who go by the name of Christian, to all of us who say we've placed our faith in Christ and we are following Jesus, then we have this responsibility, this ministry of reconciliation. This, this idea that relationships can and are healed by God. That that same power that resurrected Christ from the dead is available to resurrect a dead relationship, a dead marriage, a dead relationship between a, a parent and even maybe an adult child who they're estranged from. Those things can be healed and reconciled because of the cross and, and because of Jesus and in Jesus. All roads lead to the cross. All roads lead to the cross, and everything that the cross touches gets better, gets healthier, gets more beautiful, sounds more harmonious. And, and, and it's there for the taking. Because God's given us this ministry of reconciliation, to be reconciled into a right relationship with him, a relationship that our sin jacked up and fractured, broke. He wants to heal again. He wants to make it whole and well and new in Christ. And, and along the way, the conflicts in our families are going to get healed too. The, the conflicts that we have between each other, the, 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 the stuff that we started with, that's going to get better too. But it's going to begin, it'll be sustained, and it will be fulfilled 
in a relationship with Jesus Christ. I want to ask you to bow your heads for just a brief moment. And in this moment, I want to ask you just to consider for a moment the reality of reconciliation. The reality that Jesus Christ died on the cross and rose again so that whoever believes in him would never die because of sin, would never be alienated from God anymore because of sin, but would be forgiven and would have eternal life that begins right here and right now. That, that's a reconciliation right there. That's, that's the greatest love story ever told. And it's real. And if you've never stepped into that story personally, you've never chosen to make it your own, we want to invite you to do that right now. Just, just right where you're sitting, to pray a prayer of beginning. Just silently talk to God right where you are and just say in your own words something like this. Just silently say, Jesus, I need you. I need that reconciliation that you offer. Jesus, I confess my sin to you, all of it, holding nothing back. in order to claim your forgiveness, all of it, because you hold nothing back. And Jesus, from this moment forward, I will follow you with everything that I have. Jesus, thank you. Thank you. Now, if you, just, if you just prayed that prayer, you need to understand this is the biggest moment of your life. It's actually the moment for which God created you. It's the moment from which he will build every other moment that follows. And in his wisdom and love, he's put you in just about a perfect place to do that because you're surrounded by people who want to help. People who are highly imperfect, believe me. But, but we want to help. We, we want to be a, a family of faith with you. And so if that was your prayer, I want to ask you to do just a couple of things. Number one, before you leave, even right now, just open up the program that you got when you came in. And inside it, you'll notice there's a connect card. Fill that card out and indicate there about halfway down, I'm committed my life to Christ this week. You can start just filling that out right now. And as you finish that card, you can just tear it off at the perforation. And on your way out the door, in just a moment, if you would, just hand that connect card to one of our ushers, one of our hosts. Just so, like I said, we can help. We want to come alongside with you. And then second of all, I want to ask you, if you would, just, just for a brief moment, as our heads are bowed for another second, if you prayed that prayer and you meant it, would you just raise your hand? 
just raise your hand high over your head and hold that hand up. And here's why. It's a physical representation of a spiritual commitment, a spiritual response to God's grace. And it, it's, it's for you, but it's also for this church family. Because there's nothing more important to us than this moment in your life and others like it. And our, we've got kind of a family tradition around here. You can go ahead and put your hands down. And we're going to put our hands together just to tell you welcome home. Welcome home. <laughs> 